What up, everyone? This is Will Butler from Be My Eyes, and you're listening to Creator Exchange. Creator Exchange is a weekly series from The Outpost, bringing together creators and artists from different areas to discuss creativity, empathy, and the different ways we're all staying fruitful and optimistic during these times of uncertainty. The idea is to see the world through someone else's eyes. Chris Burkhardt and Tycho are here today, two artists who you'll find have more in common than you might think. If you're not on Instagram, you might not know Chris Burkhardt's name, but there's no question you've seen his work. Chris has been an outdoor photographer for 15 plus years, serving as a senior staff photographer for Surfer, Surfline, and Water Magazines. He has created some iconic images from all around the globe. Tycho is the stage name of recording artist and graphic designer Scott Hansen. Scott got his start, of course, as a designer and photographer, eventually finding his voice, ironically, in instrumental music. That's exactly, amongst other things, what we get into in this conversation, finding your voice and growing as an artist. We have a great lineup of conversations coming on Creator Exchange, so be sure to subscribe, review the podcast if you love it, and check out outposttrade.com slash creatorexchange for more info. Tune into our live conversations each week and give us your suggestions for what meeting of the minds you'd like to see on Creator Exchange. Want to do more than just create? You can start by supporting our friends at Oxfam, by donating to COVID relief. Find out more at outposttrade.com slash creator exchange. And you can also download Be My Eyes, which allows you to volunteer to lend your eyesight to those who need it. Today, we have almost 4 million volunteers lending their eyes on demand 24 hours a day to hundreds of thousands of blind and visually impaired people all around the world. Sign up as an individual or company by downloading the app or going to Be My Eyes. Here's my conversation with Chris Burkhardt and Tycho. You guys are both native Californians, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, born and raised in uh, Central California and decided to call this home. And uh, yeah, it's hard to move away from the beach once you, um, I think once you grow up here, you know, so. Where'd you grow up in the, in the valley? Um, you know, I grew up in uh, Pismo Beach, California, so I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, I kind of grew up like near the ocean and, um, and then just, yeah, stuck around. I think started to travel early on, but it was like I couldn't, I couldn't really find an excuse to leave the ocean behind. So Yeah, that's a good place to stay put. I thought you were, yeah, I thought you, you were from inland. I'm from uh, Sacramento. Oh, nice, so nice. I, I made yeah. my way out to the beach, uh, took about 18 years. Nice. What was your, what was that first experience where did you go like as a kid? Like, would you, would you cruise over to the coast and like Mendocino and stuff? Or like, was it always SF or? Almost always San Francisco. I think we'd go to Monterey. I was actually born in Monterey because we lived there very briefly in Salinas. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we'd go out there a little bit, but mostly San Francisco. Those are my memories. My dad was a big uh, football fan. So we'd go, we'd go watch the 49ers at Candlestick. So I always remember driving out there and I just was always, I had never really been to the city though, like inside of San Francisco until um, I decided to go to college there. So I I came out here when I was 18. No way. So you've been, you've been there ever since that's been it. No, no. I went back, uh, I went back home for about 10 years and then I, I've been here this time about 16 years. Nice. Nice. So yeah, I I was, I was only here for a few years the first time. 
Was it, well, I mean, that's, that's a crazy change. I mean, I know Sacramento is like not, it's, it's not a big city, but it's not a small city by any means, but like, you know, migrating to the, to SF is quite a change. You know what I think, I, I, what's the, what was the draw for you? Uh, the first time it was just like the culture of it and music, I think yeah. like just trying to find like a live music scene or, I don't right. know. I, I don't know what it was, you know, just basically a, it was an interesting place geographically as, as well. And it just seemed like the place you went because Sa- yeah. Sacramento at that time, downtown wasn't quite, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. So like right. um, <clears throat> I came out for that, but then the second time I came out um, for work actually to, to do graphic design stuff. Right. Um, and then that lasted like six months <laughs> and I decided, but then I just stayed put. So it was good. Yeah. I, I really want, I mean, not maybe not now, but I really want to get into that sort of background about graphic design and you know um i i really want to know about this classic moniker iso 50 and sort of how that came about and you know for, for i guess for those who who don't know the other the other sort of name that you know at one point you're known by and whatnot how kind of you know photography and design has like i guess in some way altered your perspective or changed the way that you've you've looked at the world or viewed making music and whatnot because it seems like it's really intertwined you know and i'm not going to assume to know that like you know to know who makes the decisions for for what creative outputs you, you put out in the world but it it seems to me like you have your hands uh in it all you know and yeah i mean yeah i'd love to i'd love to kind of dive into that at some point so scott can you give us a little bit of a kind of um uh, of a kind of crash course in the evolution of the Tyco, like well like I'd say brand, but you know what I mean? Just like the artist and and the graphic design, because I think I probably bought an ISO 50 print when I was like, like 12 years old or something like that. Like, <laughs> like, like almost 20 years ago now. I feel yeah. Like. yeah. That's a, that's actually about right when I started doing posters and selling posters and shirts online. But yeah, that's the original, so bad. I think the original connection was just in the in the mid nineties. I was like really into drum and bass and electronic music and the graphic design scene around that. I didn't know what graphic design was, but I think that was the first time I became exposed to something and I, and gravitated towards it. You know, like right. I just, before then I had like rock posters of like Led Zeppelin, it's just a picture with like a logo or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, Whoa, like there's no picture of an artist. This, this is just like graphics, you know, like yeah. Ronnie size and uh, Goldie and all that stuff. So that's what got me kind of like tuned into that. And then, but they both came out of the same thing. I started making fake, like I would make like album covers for my own like mini disc rips. I do like yeah. mini disc rips. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I make like a, a different alternate album cover. And then I started making like fake album covers for music that I hadn't made yet. But I, cause I didn't get into music till I was like 20. So anyways, they just grew out of each other in that way. And like, uh, you know, I was just always like trying to do, make music so I could put graphics on it and vice versa. And then I got, the ISO 50 is photography. I got into photography like maybe like four years later. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, our, our node Mercier, do you remember him? Yeah, name he sounds was, familiar, yeah. He passed away a few years ago, but he was he was kind of like my mentor in uh, in photography and he turned me on to Fuji Velvia ISO mm-hmm. 50. Yeah. So like I use that as like my, my name for, uh, for visual stuff. Yeah, and that was, that was sort of like where the question came from because ISO 50 is usually like a nod to like, Uh, you know, maybe medium format, large format, or like landscape photography in general, you know, because a lot of times people are shooting with like Provia 400 or something like that. And they're, they're trying to shoot for more like skin tones. But if you're shooting ISO 50, like you're, you're trying to capture like something on slide film, something super vivid, like, 
at least that was my, the impetus of my career was like Ektachrome, Velvia 50, you know, like saving those rolls of film for like the best morning light, the best evening light. Like they were like gold canisters, you know? And so, yeah, that was, that was interesting. I just, I like the nod to kind of like that, uh, that history of photography and, um, so then photographer and designer first musician second when, or or was it always the same? It was all, it was in parallel, but I definitely, you know, I definitely made my living off of design for the first 10 years or so. Wow. And what point, what point was that like jump made or was there any like transition or was it just, was it just seamless? Like, was it like, okay, this is the right time to like swap over sort of thing. Yeah. I I think I just kept getting more, uh, more client work and, and started mm. selling the posters. Actually, you know what? That's it. It's when I made the shop and started selling prints and shirts. Mm. And it was kind of like, well, why don't I just focus on this? Cause you know, before you're, you're relying on a steady stream of, uh, of client work. And then, you know, so I, I didn't want to like count on that, but, uh, but then yeah, once I was able to kind of generate the, the income myself, that, that's when I was able to make the leap. That's how, about, how about you? Were you working in, in photography somewhere else? And then you kind of went off on your own. No, you know, it, it was like I was going to junior college and I was working some dead end job at 19. And I told myself that I'm going to quit both of them and pursue photography. And I think there was a very realistic chance that I was going to be like face down in the dirt somewhere, not <laughs> not at all like surviving. But I, I just told myself, you know, I've always seen this. I, I've always seen opportunity as this like analogy where you're at the train station and your bags are like halfway packed and the train's about to leave and you have to get on it or opportunity's going to leave and you're not going to be ready. Like no matter what, you're not going to be ready. And so I, I think that I just jumped on it and I knew that there was going to be some years like of struggle and um, I was going to be shooting jobs and doing assignments that weren't really ideal. But I think in the back of my mind, there was always the goal that I would push this into something that was like inspiring and motivating and coming from a small town, you know, I grew up again, it's like a tiny little area. I I didn't have a passport, never traveled anywhere. Like for me, the biggest trips I ever did as a kid were like national parks. So I think a camera became this, like maybe this tool to be like, wow, maybe I could leave this town and see the world. And and that was like always in the back of my mind. So yeah, it took a while. How did you get, how did, was this before, would you say this is before social media was like a, a way to get into that or like, yeah, doing... this is about okay. 15 years ago. Um, I, I started my career again, kind of shooting surfing and working oh, okay. for surf, surf magazines. I was um, on staff for surfer magazine and trans world and, and surf line for about eight years. And then was just shooting a steady stream of editorial work. And that was, it, it was all editorial. And I remember being in, in Iceland back in 2006 or five and a friend of mine, a surfer is like, yeah, you should really check out social media. It's a great tool. And I was like, dude, there's no way my editors would ever let me share something before an article comes out. And and I think, you know, like yourself or any creative person, there's an element of what we put out there that's filtered via agents or PR or magazines or whatever. So everything I was doing, like I was having these mind blowing trips going to Russia and getting thrown in some jail cell or like, you know, just crazy stuff. And then I would get the article of the magazine and only like 10 pages would come out. And there was thousands of images and stories that weren't being told. And so that's really what social media and self-publishing and making books and films became about for me. It was like the, the, the transition of telling my own stories 
And I think it's such a powerful medium for that, you know, if you, if you have more to say on certain subjects, so. Yeah, yeah. definitely like the feel, I, I like the kind of immediacy of it where it feels like a stream of consciousness as opposed to, you know, this kind of like, oh, I got to put together a book or like a, a website or a collection mm -hmm. or a portfolio where it feels like this, this giant thing that everybody needs to, to consume as a whole, but like, it's nice right. to just piecemeal have the things go out. Right, and coming from a design background, I'm sure it's like, you know, the, there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of sometimes input and, and you want it to be perfect. And there's something about the imperfection of um, putting something out there that, that's really nice in this day and age, you know, and not, not allowing it to be so precious in some way, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Although I have, I've realized once they came out with Instagram stories, because uh, Instagram being visually oriented, that's kind of feels like my, you know, that that's the most natural platform for, for yeah. visual work. Mm -hmm. um, but when they came out with stories, I got like super precious about actual posts. Those, became, yeah. those took yeah. on all this importance. And I'm like, oh, each, you know, now I think of that grid as like a portfolio. And then the stories are the ones that are I, in the moment. I totally agree. You know, it's so funny is that I tell people all the time, I'm like, hey, there's not a single creative director, art director, musician, what in the world that's above using social media. Like if somebody wants to get an immediate representation of who you are, they're probably going to go there because all you need is your thumb. And it's so simple. Like we're creatures of habit, right? We're going to do what's easy. And so I do think that like you look at that grid and, and it gives an interpretation of what that person cares about or what that person values maybe. Um, and although that might seem shallow at times, it's, it is a pretty real representation of what we, where we want to spend our time or where we want to be or whatever. But I, I do love the, the fact that stories just kind of disappear and it can just be like a snippet into our daily life and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, Did you yeah. ever have uh, a web-based portfolio? Or do you yeah. Still have one? Yeah, I still do. I mean, I, I still do for like uh, clients and just showing like my reel and, and my director reel and stuff like that. And, and it's, it's funny because like, it's important, but it also feels kind of archaic, but I know that like, it still gets used. It's more of like the second, you know, as opposed to people going there first and then finding you on social media. Yeah. It's like, that's the secondary phase. Like, oh, they like your work and then they want to hire you. So they're going to look deeper at what we, myself or my studio has done uh, for commercial work. And yeah, it's, it's, it's like a necessary evil. I kind of wish that it could all just be this like more blog format, more stream of consciousness, you know, more immediate um, connectivity. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I, I let mine slip for, I don't know, the better part of a decade, probably. I don't think I've updated it. And actually over that, I haven't, I haven't yeah. posted anything there. I need it. But you know, like, that's what I miss is like designing the actual way it's presented right. and not being forced into this, this kind of like, uh, whatever, however they designed the app, you know, whatever yeah. platform you're on. So yeah, yeah. I want to get back to that eventually. Cause like yeah, when I go to a well-designed portfolio now, I'm like, Whoa, like it's yeah. like almost like it's come full circle for me now. I'm like, Whoa. now I'm like, craving that like personal touch to the whole thing yeah, although everything's like squarespace now discovering your site like as a as a young person and like it's like it's it was its own little world i think it had that the tree design right um, yeah that was what was load but it was supposed to feel like yeah like a device like you're using some machine that's right, so right i want to ask but you guys you know not usable <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we it's like over oh, the last um or the last two, we've, we've now spent the last two months at home, right? Right. Um, and, and maybe this isn't, um, correct me if I'm wrong here on this, but like, Scott, I imagine that you're, you, you are sort of have an inward 
creativity that would allow you to stay at home and just work and work and work. Chris, I, I imagine you're you're more outward. You're out outward bound all the time. Um, starting with starting with uh, with you, Scott. What have the last two months been like for you creatively? I mean, yeah, I think I think you nailed it. <laughs> my, my life has not changed at all, other than um, I'm I'm a pretty much a homebody, and and I like to be in the studio as much as possible. Um, and you know, it's punctuated by you know like a year of touring. But we we were really fortunate in that we got most of the big tours on this cycle. Basically, there's like a you call it a cycle. You put out a record, mm. you tour it, and then you start over from scratch. Um, so like we pretty much got through most of the touring section. So if anything, it just ended up shutting down the cycle earlier. So it was, it was a bummer because um, we did have to cancel or, or postpone some shows. But as far from a creative standpoint, I actually there's parts of it that I, that I enjoy just because it's like now I just get to completely focus on what's next instead of having to kind of put it off for, you know, cause by the time, usually by the time a cycle's over, you're like super like amped to work on music again. Cause it's been so long. What about you, Chris? What's it been like the last two months? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been interesting for sure. You know, just um, it's been obviously a big eye opener because I remember the day the day of um, the travel ban, I, I was supposed to leave at four in the morning and go to Iceland to do a big project and, uh, you know, had to, you know, obviously cancel flights. And, and since then, that was March 12th. It was actually my birthday. So I like remember it very vividly. Like um, I, I went out to dinner that night with my family, like pretty much like nothing, whatever was happening. And then it was like travel ban, boom. I didn't know if I'd be able to get home or I'd be in quarantine um, so I canceled my trip and, um, and yeah, the night last couple of months, I've just been at home. Like, luckily I, you know, I have my studio here with my staff and we, we get to work on lots of little projects here and there that keep us busy. Um, but it's been a real eye opener, you know, it's been a real eye opener in terms of uh, as a, I think a modern day photographer, how you, um, recession proof your business and just like how you pivot to, to, to tell stories in a different way and, and the, the work that you do for brands and how that really evolved. So um, I've been, you know, spending a ton of time with my kids, which I cannot express, you know, the gratitude more and just, I'm still getting outside, you know, I'm still able to go like surf and ride my bike. And I think I've never been more appreciative of living in a slightly isolated community where like those things are still um, allowed, I guess you could say. So I'm tra trying to take full advantage of that, like getting sunlight and, being outdoors because it definitely like I mean it affects the mood but for me like being in at my house for a week straight not going to the grocery store not seeing other people I, you know and what's funny is I just miss the simple things I miss like sitting down and having someone serve you a meal and like you know that's that's something that like we kind of take for granted or going to the movies you know um so yeah yeah it's been wild <laughs> Scott any tips yeah. for Chris on uh how to stay home and not go anywhere for a week <laughs> Uh, yeah, turn into an introvert, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it, it kind of it suits me. But yeah, I mean, talking about like, it has been a real wake up call because you kind of you get into this rhythm and you just assume you take a lot of things for granted, like the ability yeah. to tour, which is a huge part of any musician's yeah. uh, income. And it just makes you realize like, well, you got to like stay nimble or you just got to you got to be thinking about like, you can't count on any element of this thing. And you have to be right. ready to kind of uh, to switch to something else if, if this something crazy like this happens. I, I mean, from what they're saying, it seems like, I don't know how, you know, they're just saying this is going to keep happening potentially. So it's, that's kind of scary. 
Yeah. And it's so funny, you know, for me, at least I, I talk to so many people in my own industry, you know, photographers and this and that, and we, we all kind of have the same concerns. Right. And, um, but I, I mean, obviously we were, we were talking before the podcast sports and music is one of those industries that's heavily affected, obviously with the transition of, um, oops, with the transition of, um, you know, the last 10 years, how much touring has become a part of your income and whatnot and, and, and the modern musician's income. So I, I just, it's so interesting to me to, to consider that nimbleness and how that might transition. I, I would just love to know, you know, is there thoughts on like, will there be, you know, live shows online? Like how, like what, cause I mean, at a certain point, like it's so great to like put out free, a lot of people are doing like free live shows and this and that, but at a certain point it's like, no, you have to like also make an income. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see, how that might change or transition, whether it's like really intimate venues and kind of going back to doing that where the, the ticket price is higher or just shows online. I'm just wondering if that's something that, you know, you've considered or, or thought about or have a preference or something like that. I mean, I've definitely thought about it, but yeah, like it's weird. The concept of a show and a bunch of people jamming into the space to watch live music seems so kind of like almost archaic and like, yeah. and like kind of like, quaint it seems quaint now it's like yeah. oh like yeah the good old day <laughs> yeah. it's like now the the thought of that happening seems so absurd right now i mean i gotta imagine it's it's going to at some point i mean people are social animals and i think everybody wants yeah. to have those experiences and that's a that's a big part of life is is experiencing things with large groups of people but yeah i mean there may be some harsh realities on the uh, on the horizon and that's just that you know luckily we're established as a band and, you know, I have the visual identity and all that stuff. So it's like, we're in a lucky, really fortunate spot. And I, and I feel super, super fortunate to, to be in this position, but like, I feel like emerging artists right now. And when this comes back, it's going to be really difficult because a lot of the small venues are going to go away and a lot of the opportunities are going to go away. And I think that's going to be a huge kind of learning curve, the way that the, the, the entire industry adjusts, because it was already tough enough, you know, to break into things these days without, without not being able to play shows, you know, cause that's kind of how a lot of artists get off the ground is they just grind, go on the road, grind for a few years. Right. Right. That's, that's, uh, some, that's wild. Yeah. How has, when it comes to diversifying your, your income streams as an artist, like how has your guys' relationship with art and branded work and client work, how has that changed uh, over the years? Uh, starting with you, Chris. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I think that in some capacity, you know, social media has like played a role within that, you know, um, just, just having the understanding from brands or brand perspectives that like when, when myself or somebody else gets a chance to speak to this massive audience, like nobody really knows that audience quite like, um, quite like us, uh, you know, and, and you get a chance to know their interests and, and digest what their, their needs are and, and I think that the ability to sort of um, in some capacity collaborate more closely with um, with certain brands is really is really amazing. For me, it's usually something where I'm shooting an assignment for somebody and then there's, you know, on top of that, there is a an expectation to kind of like or, or a part of the, the program to share it or to, um, you know, expose it to the world in some capacity. So, yeah, it's been fun. Um, it kind of puts the creativity back into, I think, the artist's hands a little bit, which is really refreshing, as opposed to sort of trying to convince somebody behind a cubicle how like how 
the modern day consumer operates when you're the person that's interacting with them all the time, you know? Um, so, so that has been really fulfilling, at least for me and something, something really rad to work on. And I would say in terms of like just recession proofing the business, I, I think that what I've realized, at least for me is when things are going really well, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever it is, when, when you're at the top of your whatever, it's so hard to take a step back in that moment and be like, Oh my gosh, well, I want to utilize this time when things are good to like take a step back and maybe create assets or things that I could use for when times aren't great. You know, and for me a lot, again, a lot of that's been like making books, making films, things that can have trickle down income effects, making online workshops and whatnot, and just trying to rely upon that so that you can still serve this audience and not be having to like, you know, for me again, you know, travel around the world to do so or something like that. Yeah. What about you, Scott? Uh, you know, I, I think I, you know, I had a much more direct connection with, with brands, uh, you know, in my graphic design career, but, you know, it was mostly doing like posters for like a ad campaign or like logos or something like that. Um, in music, I've had a, a little less, uh, you know, there hasn't been really, there aren't, you know, I think we've done like, you know, car commercials, but that's like, they're yeah. just licensing an existing song. It's not like you're making it custom but like doing remixes i just did a game uh a song for a video game which was like you know kind of the closest analog to uh to doing con you know to when i was doing uh client design work and that was definitely um you know those types of things i think that was always something i looked at as the future anyways is like maybe doing film scores and doing commercial music and stuff just because you know the the older you get and as you you get a family and, and all these things you want to be home and and uh and you just you know the reality of non-stop touring isn't as quite as appealing anymore so you know those are kind of things that i always had in the back of my head and i think in a way this just kind of like forced you to like be like okay you know this is this is something you actually need to be uh actively pursuing if it's if in fact it is something that you want to develop and be able to do later but you know you hope that uh you create enough intellectual property and through the music and, and through whatever, you know, artwork you're doing that like Chris was saying, like over time, it kind of builds up a, a catalog where you can, you can hopefully live off that. We, we talked to uh, Tony Hawk last week and we were talking, you know, skateboarding was such a um, kind of nascent thing um, that when brands first approached him and he was very young, he was like, hell yeah, this is the, like, this is the way people are going to find out about skateboarding, right? Yeah. Like, so it really does have a power to spread an art form to the masses in a way to work with a brand and not just, not just being, it's not just that your art is being used, you know, but you are, you're using that platform as well. Yeah, I think uh, one of the first big, my kind of biggest breakthrough, I think early on was Adult Swim used uh a bunch of my music from kind of like like this is like 2006 um for like the bumpers and for like when toonami went off the air that they used like a song as like the final they used cascade as, as like the outro and like i feel like i still hear people who, who are like oh i heard about it through through uh adult swim so i, I always that's thought that so was bad. yeah yeah that's awesome <laughs> i want to ask about um about uh, something you just talked about, about nonstop touring and the sustainability of that. Um, because like, Chris, you're also like no, no stranger to van life. 
Yeah. And I wanted to ask you guys, how are your guys' touring lives different and maybe how are they the same? And, uh, and what would your advice be to artists or creators or people who have a craft who are facing that prospect of uh, having to go out into the world in order to spread their message? Uh, maybe we could start with you again, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because my, my career started as like one big road trip. Um, and I, and I, I don't mean that in like the romantic sense. I mean that in like the real physical sense. Like I, the very first trip I ever did um, before I left the country, even before I had a passport was um, I spent 50 days in a Volkswagen bus traveling up and down the coast of California and, you know, living and breathing out of this 76 VW Vanagon with a friend of mine and documenting everything. We made a book called the California surf project that was published by Chronicle and um that trip was amazing. I mean, you, you, you get into such a rhythm being, uh, at least for me, being on the road. This is one thing that's interesting. It's like photography as a skill set is, is never going to become second nature if it's like something you casually do on a Monday and casually pick up on a Friday and whatnot. You know, it has to be um, an intrinsic part of you and being able to wake up and like go to sleep, wake up and kind of eat and breathe the assignment. Um, you, you become really connected to it. And I think that that has been for me, like every project I do that allows me to really be immersed in it. Those are the kinds that I really look forward to. And although it can be a grind and it can be so painful and it can suck while you're in it, um, you really look forward to it. Like kind of going back and forth. Like for me, I'm one of those people where I tell my wife and she knows like when I'm on the road, I'd rather stay on the road for a period of time and then come home for a period of time. I don't want to do this like home for two days, gone for five days. Cause it's a different, you know, it's, it's a different mentality and you get into a different place. And I think that for me, I usually have to really fill up this deep well of inspiration when I'm home. So when I go out on the road, I can really pull, pull from that, you know, spending time to uh, make sure that I'm like satisfied and happy and, you know, well-fed and all those things. So that when I go out there, I can give 110% to whatever that assignment asks of me. <clears throat> That's awesome. That sounds like an amazing trip. The California pro the surf it was one. it was sick man it was interesting it definitely got like we got terrible poison oak and ate a lot of Mexican food and it was amazing but yeah it was cool to see every coastal county and like kind of document that and really kind of I, I guess like not rush you know we're always rushing through but yeah, yeah. have you ever been up to a uh, lost lost coast yeah that area is rad it's so cool and remote and and a lot of interesting people <laughs> to put it yeah. to put it lightly but yeah like it does feel like California, you know, a thousand years ago or something like that. Yeah. My wife and I actually took a, a VW van and went out to like, it was like an abandoned, it's a closed state park, but they, you can still drive in. Do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, and there was like elk walking in the waves, like yeah. walking in the surf. It was like the craziest. seemed like a, it was a lot. It felt like a lost coast, literally. Yeah, le lost legitimately. World. Like there are some parts of California that are so wild. You're just like, how in the world is this the same state as like LA where it's like, you know, it's a desert basically. And I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's super funny. I, I actually like have a real soft spot for San Francisco and Northern California. Like I would rather drive to San Francisco and spend another, an extra hour driving just to fly out of there than to drive to LA because I, I, I appreciate the experience of like being in the fog and being close to parks and knowing that like there's redwoods just around the corner, you know, like there's, I don't know. I feel like it's a gateway to just a lot of really awesome stuff. Yeah. That's what's interesting. Like, yeah, you realize, you know, 
logic where you're like, yes, I'm in a city, but like, especially if you live, I live out in the mission kind of on the edge of it. So you're kind of, yeah. it's just a big neighborhood. Like, right. I don't feel like I live when I go downtown or go to like Fisherman's Wharf or yeah. <laughs> whatever. I'm like, this is, this is a different place. Like I visit, totally. visit the city. So like out here, yeah, it feels pretty. And then, you know, you're connected to all these places. That's, that's what I love about the city. But it, but it like has like actual, it has like actual borders, like LA, you can drive forever and oh, you're yeah. Yeah. In LA. like you're like i'm 200 miles from <laughs> the way, and i'm still in la like like san francisco is only what like seven square miles you know like you can get yeah. out of it quickly you you it has actual perimeter i mean to me that's like that feels more approachable like you're like hell i could park my car and walk out of this damn thing if i needed to you know um yeah, LA, yeah. there's like no escaping la <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do you ever do you ever get energy from being on the road uh, as an introvert, or is it just a resource draw? Uh, it's something I had to really get kind of like uh, you know get accustomed to and, and build up. Like I, uh, I I learned to enjoy it after a while. I basically learned to enjoy playing performing live because that used to be like this very difficult experience for me that I had to like really get all worked up over, and you know it, it left me rattled. And you know slowly you get desensitized to that just from repetition, but I finally in the last two years got to a point where I kind of broke through and it, it was truly something I think I drew energy from. So that keeps you going for the next day. Cause you're like, Oh, I, you know, it only eight hours till I get to go do that again or whatever. So there's that part. And I mean, I, I think, I think the regimen regimented, you know, part of it, like waking up at the same time, going to sleep at the same time, knowing you have to be in this certain place and do this certain thing at the same time every day you know, having these meals kind of planned out and you're with the same people there. There's something kind of like meditative about that for me. Mm -hmm. Instead of when I get home, it's like, what should I be doing? You're always having to make all these decisions. And yeah. when you're on the road, it's just like autopilot until you get on stage. And then it's like an hour and a half of this super intense emotional thing. Mm -hmm. And then it's right back to like military <laughs> regimen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that part of it is cool. I, I think recently I've gotten a lot more used to it and, and, and I, I'm drawing energy from it instead of just giving tons of it away you know all right, right. Was it just that's a plastic? funny that's a funny thing to say like like pulling energy from it as opposed to just letting it letting it tap you you know because there is something so true about that you know i mean um my, i i i get lucky enough to like speak a lot on um like conferences and whatnot and if you 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 can let it be one of those two things you know you can let it be totally like sap you of everything you have and and like exhaustive or you can get like super fired up i think the crowd the audience has so much to do with that you know and like yeah i i, I hate the word energy more than anything else but but to say that like the, the energy they're putting off you know and if um makes a huge difference so yeah 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 definitely that's like i've i've done very few but back in my design days i used to do some speaking but i was so yeah. bad at it i was like i can't, i can't do this anymore but that was definitely like sap. That was definitely yeah. the other way. I was pushing pure, and then I was like wiped out for two days, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always felt like I just barely got by or something. But like, yeah, I feel like, I, I think I just never prepared enough. I feel like the more I prepare and the more I understand what my, what's the intention of the whole thing, like why am I going up there? Or what, what am I trying to tell the, the tell the audience? What story am I trying to tell, whether it's with music right. or speaking or whatever? Once I have a clear picture of that, then I feel like, oh, I'm up here doing this, you know, I'm. I'm doing this thing I want to be doing instead of like, how do I just get through, get through this, right. which is how I think I mistakenly looked at, at a lot of performances, just being in front of people for a long time. Cause it just didn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. 
I think, I think, uh, well, well I, first I'd like to know what, if there are elements of your, of your profession, Chris, that make you nervous sometimes where, where the, the stage fright comes in or something. Um, not as much now. I think early in the beginning of my career, there was a lot of like imposter syndrome. And then nowadays there's still a bit of like fear. Um, if I'm, if I'm shooting something that I'm not super prof proficient at, you know, if I'm hanging off a cliff shooting, climbing, um, in Yosemite, or if I'm, you know, swimming in the water and there's big creatures somewhere around there. I mean, there's elements to it that keep me like on my toes, but, but not like the situation where I'm like, um, where I feel ill prepared, you know, um, I feel like getting the job done is usually a matter of, uh, the right conditions lining up. And I think that I've uh, just, you get to a healthy place with creativity where you realize like you can't control everything. And a part of these things, you know, after you've had jobs, you know, like where you, again, you've been on beaches where like there's a huge crew and you, everybody's trying to make something happen. And like the weather just isn't cooperating. There's times where you just want to push through and force it and make it happen, but it's like, you can't. And I think that accepting the fact that nobody's going to blame you for that is, is a part of just growing up and getting a little older and more mature. And because um, in the beginning of my career, I'd be like, oh, this is it. Like, you know, nobody's going to forget this, yeah. you know, and it just is what it is. So I think that, yeah, that, but once you put in those 10,000 hours, you know, the, the camera becomes an extension of you and you don't, you don't like fear the creative process anymore. All, all I fear is like inclement weather and and those things, you know, I, I don't get so afraid of like not being able to accomplish um, the, the the assignment. I think it's safe to say you guys both derive a lot of inspiration from the natural world, Chris. Obviously, for you, um, Scott, I wonder a little bit more on your end. Um, where does some of the natural imagery come from? You live in a city. You grew up in Sacramento. Like, what's your relationship like with with nature? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually grew up in outside of Sacramento, up in kind of a more rural area, especially back then in, in the early ah. 80s. It was, very, it was a very rural area, like right by the, on the American River. Um, so like, yeah, we just spent our time creeping around in the in the woods and swimming in the river. And and uh, and that was that was the backdrop. And that that's kind of how I feel like that's that's what I've always been speaking to is kind of that connection. And then when I came out here, it was the ocean and, and, uh, and, you know, a lot of the music since I feel like I can, I can hear that influence in it, but obviously, you know, it's, it, it's like, you can put that meaning into it, or you can be drawing inspiration from that. It doesn't necessarily mean other people are going to pick up on that, but I do hear people say they're like, Oh, this makes me think of, you know, the ocean, or this makes me think of driving down, uh, you know, the one or something like that. So I guess it, it makes its way through, but you know, with my design work, I was definitely speaking to that in a more literal way as well. And, and all my like kind of landscape photography stuff. I, I definitely, I definitely feel that. <laughs> I definitely feel like there's a, there's a, I don't know how to put this, but there's like a, a something synonymous with California um, in, in a lot of the music, at least, you know, like it, it just tends to, um, I don't know, naturally gravitate to like, collect helping collect a memory you know um yeah i don't know it's synonymous with it for me I'm reading awesome. some of the, co the comments here um people want to know chris how do you pick your locations yeah i mean a big planning is like a huge joy of mine like i actually enjoy just as much as i enjoy like building out 
a really interesting like bike ride. I enjoy like looking on Google Earth for like undisclosed or unnamed islands off the coast of Alaska or Russia or wherever. And, um, you know, it's, it's like a challenge. It's like a fun challenge. Like, oh, can you get there? Like, how do you get there? How would you access that? Who do you have to hire? Who do you have to pay? You know, who do you have to, to beg, you know, to, to give you access? So, I mean, a big part of it is coming from this background of, of shooting surfing for magazines where my job was really to like highlight these off the beaten path waves. Um, I think I've really tried to input that into like other landscape photography work or commercial work for brands where um, I'm kind of bringing them to new and, and or different locations that maybe haven't been seen or haven't been photographed that much. And again, I'm, I'm never really the first person to ever go to these places, but I'm, we're usually trying to, um, bring a project or a story there that maybe hasn't been told. Um, so that's a big part of it, you know, and again, it starts with social media, you know, you, you, you browse the internet, you know, you look on blogs, you look on write-ups, you look on some Russian Flickr site, you know, who knows. Um, but yeah, Google earth is a good, great tool for that too. That's crazy. You're actually doing like flyovers in Google earth and being like, what's that island? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like, oh man, this island, because you, know, you, you look down on Google Earth and if you're looking for surf, sometimes it's pretty easy. You look for like white water lines off of like a point of land and you're like, that could be a point break, you know, or that could be a beach break. There's no rocks. You can kind of see like the texture of the beach. And I, we've found so many ways doing that. And a lot of times you're kind of going somewhere that you know, there's like, there is surf there or there's waves there. Or again, like for me, I shoot a lot of action sports or I shoot a lot of outdoor sports. Like, Oh, there's, there's a climbing area there. And then you're just kind of like poking around, looking at other things, seeing like, well, okay, you could camp here and there's fresh water there. And um, somebody could get you in on a Zodiac here. So if you could boat to the Island, like, you know, th those types of scenarios, you know, and um, I don't know that there's something to that. Like when you do get to that place and you find that location and, and it is maybe what you dreamed of, it's pretty Pretty much like yeah. I don't know, finding a pot of gold at the other end of the rainbow for me. How, how many of those places do you feel like you have this cache of places that only you and a few other people know, know about? Definitely there's a couple places where like I feel like I'm one of the very few people who ever been lucky enough to experience it or experience it as good as it gets, you know, like because some places people have been to, but maybe they went during the wrong season or they didn't, they didn't do it in the, in the right way. So they, they kind of got skunked, right? Um, and yeah, there's a couple, there's a handful and there's definitely like a laundry list of spots where I would kill to go to, but it's always a matter of budget and timing and like trying to convince somebody to go there, um, you know, and you know, some, you know, the Kerguelen islands that are like French owned islands and you need to be a scientist to get there. And, you know, they do one expedition a year, but it's like, you know, it has animal life that like is only seen in one place on earth. I don't know. There's, there's stuff like that. That's just like this laundry list of like dream locations. But you know what I always find is like the more time you put into going there, um, you know, I think the more likely it is to happen. Like for me, I've been to Iceland 41 times when I first started going, it was very unknown, but obviously it became very popular and uh, now it's super accessible. But like the, I, I, what's, what's kept me going back is like the, the time and energy I've placed into understanding that location and its moods and its weather and all these things has paid off tenfold and allowed me to go back over and over for different projects and whatnot. How much have you like, you know, but I'm sure you've seen it change a ton. Like, and do you think 
do you think social media is is what kind of popularized Iceland? I mean, that that's kind of how it got oh, yeah. my my radar. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. But the beauty of it is too is it's so funny. Like it's like anywhere else, you know. You what, what's really impacted is this six hour stretch of coast where everybody okay. goes, but if you literally veer, you know, you go beyond that or you go to the interior, you go to the West Fjords, the East Fjords, there are mysteries waiting to be discovered. And if you go, you know, hike 10 miles down any trail, you'll be led to somewhere that like is completely empty. So it's a funny one because again, it's like 1% of the, of the location is really accessed and there's so much like, you know, hidden hot springs and, and, and just amazing little places all throughout. But I feel like it's always been my relationship with the local people in those places that's paid off the most. Like they're the ones kind of uh, discovering or sharing some of these like gems that I would have never known about personally or could have never found myself, you know? That's awesome. I got to get there. We've been, we've been talking about it forever, but it just still hasn't happened. Yeah. If you ever go, I'd be psyched to uh, get you some Intel. There's this crazy story. Be awesome. Actually, um, there's a stretch of the coast. It's, it's really wild. There's a stretch of this coast in Iceland called the West Fjords. And there's a national park. Um, it's like the most remote corner of the country. And randomly there's a beach where a lot of wood collects. And so there's these home, these homes people used to live in year round. Now they're summer homes where um, they build these beautiful houses because they have wood from like Nova Scotia. Anyway, I went there on a boat um, from Issa Fjord, or it's actually like a little overnight crossing, or you can take a speedboat out there. And they have this insane hot spring in this little village community. And I go there and I'm sitting there and, you know, the, the people come up and they start chatting. Obviously they're stoked that, that we're there. And this old guy, he comes up and he's like, Oh, you got to come to my house. I want to make some coffee. I want to show you some photos. And I start flipping through his photo album with him. And I'm like, I recognize that dude. And I'm like, why is there like a blonde supermodel in this hot spring? And he's like, Whoa, that's Mick Jagger came here. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is who he brought with him. And oddly enough, and so this is like the, the legend of the lore, so to say, this place has, has become a place that many musicians, Icelandic or otherwise, pay homage to the fact that like there's this remote bay, there's this remote community with an incredible hot spring. And Mick Jagger went there because he wanted just to go like see the most isolated part of the country. And that was one of the most isolated parts of the country. And so like, obviously like Monsters of Man and Bjork and all these people have been there and, and other bands. So I just, it's kind of a funny one just talking about like, you know, you going there, I'm like, if you, if you go, you should, you should really, <laughs> you should really check. Yeah, that sounds, it out. It's pretty that sounds amazing. It was a weird tale. I was like tripping out. I have the photos of his album. It was, it was wild. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Iceland sounds incredible. Yeah. I, I want to ask you guys about uh, the tools you use. Um, you know, obviously it, the easiest way to answer would be, you know, what are your favorite tools? Well, my camera, my computer, but getting a little bit more specific than that, like either currently or historically, what do you say are some of the most important tools that uh, you could maybe recommend to others who are pursuing the types of creative stuff you guys are pursuing? Scott, would you like to start? Uh, I mean, this, I don't know if you can see, this is kind of my, this is my Axe, the, the mini Moog. Um, this is kind of like my go-to synth, these two actually. These are like my favorite synths of all time, a Korg Monopoly and a, uh, a Mini Moog. These are like early 80s, mid 70s synths. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think, uh, you know, the computer is obviously an easy answer, but Reaper, the DAW that I use is kind of like, 
It's the oh, multi-tracker. Wow. It's like the tape machine. You're you know, a Reaper, like able- Reaper user. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, that's like my whole process is built around Reaper and, and only, <laughs> it, it, it's the only one that ever kind of fit into the, whatever the, the skeleton key of, of the way that I go, go about things. So it, uh, yeah, that really enabled me. Like I, I switched, I think like 11 years ago from Sonar and, uh, and yeah, that's become like my, my main tool. And I think it allows me to do a lot of the, the stuff I, that I do. Awesome. You just said, you just said some stuff that I have, like, I'm, it's so over my head. It was awesome. Um, (laughs) It's it's Lightroom. Reaper is the Lightroom of music. Epic. That's, that's exactly what I needed to know. Um, Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard because I think that like, you know, intrinsically we think of like the camera, that's the tool, right? That's the, that's the tool. Um, But more and more, I guess I've tried to transition in any way that I can from being a photographer, you know, to using my vision to like work on films and, and write books and things like that. And, and just, I think using my voice in general and, and using it as a form of storytelling. So I'd say if you stripped away all that technology from, for me, for my craft and all that bullshit, like all I would really care about is having, um, stories worth telling and having and learning how to, I think, deliver them in a way that feels compelling and feels uh, visceral and, um, you know, and, and, and and inspires change because I think that's why I try to create images or films is is to inspire change within people. So I think like at the very core of, of who I am, I just, I would say that um, having a strong, vision for for what you're you want to say or the story you want to tell that's really what i aim for that's what i really what i seek out so i think yeah that's the maybe the one tool in my toolkit that i try to keep the sharpest you know it's it's a lot of times why i take speaking assignments that i'm scared out of my mind to do because i know it'll keep me kind of um it'll keep me sharp you know and and i really learned that from like studying the work of ansel adams and and the advocacy work that he did with uh you know for the government and for Sierra Club and whatnot. It's really, it's really interesting that you mentioned vision, right? Because I was thinking about like um, there are some great blind photographers, right? Yeah. Um, folks like I'm thinking of a woman named Alice Wingwall, mm-hmm. who is the wife of uh, one of the architects who founded Sea Ranch. Um, oh wow! Yeah. And she's incredible. like in her 80s now. Wonderful woman. And when you ask her about, you know, the camera or whatever, she knows how to work a camera. She understands all that stuff. But that's not how she shoots. You know, it's about understanding what she's shooting and interacting with what she's shooting before she sets up the camera. And similarly, even when you talk about music software, there's a lot of music software that's not yet accessible for blind people um, because of software engineering. Luckily, Reaper is getting there. Um, But like, but the, you can obviously still have wonderful musicians who are blind. They don't. So it's not even so much of always about the tool. Sometimes the tool yeah. is irrelevant or maybe not even necessary at all. Right. I think I, 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 I'm kind of the opposite way. I've always thought of the pro, you know, my product is the process that I design mm-hmm. and the input is something that I can conceive of, but the output is something I never could have conceived of on my, on my own. So I think of, designing a system almost like software, I think of the studio as a, as a system and I can operate it because I understand it, but I, I, I can't conceive of what's gonna come out the other side. And I think that's kind of 
what I'm always going for is creating something that I wouldn't have thought on on my own because if if I if I thought of it on my own it probably isn't isn't that great you need some interstitial element to kind of like uh you know to the, you need all these permutations and then you're like whoa what's that one and you follow that one and then it changes and and you follow it down until you arrive in this this destination that you you never could have thought of you know so that's um, I, I would love yeah. to be more inspirational where I could sit down and play an acoustic guitar and sing and just create this beautiful <laughs> masterpiece but that's just never really I've I've always needed technology technology is my is kind of my voice absolutely yeah. no I, and I think but switching up the tools can create different creative products right Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm, and that's what I'm always trying to like create variety and keep, you know, have enough options to do, you know, enough tools for every purpose that you never end up using one. Cause I found myself falling into that, you know, you, you fall into a, a mode of operation where you're like, Oh, this is how I use this tool, whatever this synth or this, this guitar or this amp. And so like having a few keeps it, keeps it fresh. We know about blind musicians, but Chris, you know any blind photographers that you could tip us? I personally don't know, but um, there's some cool I mean, ones out there. Yeah, no, that would be interesting to explore. I'm, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I have um, some sort of kinship with them because I'm definitely colorblind. Um, oh, really? And grew up that way. Yeah, I, I um, I, I, it's it's a funny one though because being colorblind doesn't mean you can't see color; it just means you confuse color really easily, right? So greens and browns and blues and purples, like when certain things are close to each other all my life, I could just never identify them. And um, yeah. it's funny because it definitely interprets the way I edit things in Lightroom and, and where I try to bring an image back to, you know, a lot of it's just bringing it back to what I saw um, and, and what, how it interpreted itself to me. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a funny process. It's definitely interesting. We actually have a lot of colorblind uh, Be My Eyes users. Um, no way. Who, who use the app uh, to call a volunteer to match colors and whatnot sometimes. Oh, wow. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I, cool. I, I just ended up hiring someone to help me do that stuff because it was oh, too hard. Man. You can get someone to help <laughs> you for free. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I wonder if, uh, let me, let me just check out a few more questions here before we start to wrap up. Um, what sort of new projects are, are, are coming up guys? Uh, do, do, do they are you uh, breaking breaking some new bounds are you hoping to do some try out some some new things uh chris um i have a film that's touring right now at film festivals and sadly it would have been premiering at tribeca but that's not happening so it's it's all getting pushed online or later in the year which is fine but um yeah it's a really cool film about fatherhood and risk and parenting and raising a daughter in a complicated world so i'm excited about that and um, I just released a book on on Iceland's glacial river systems and the protection, the effort to protect them against damming and and aluminum smelters and things of that nature. So a lot of things in the works, and I'm just staying busy. And yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of looking for that next thing. I've got a couple other things up my sleeve, um, but again, it's you know without knowing how travel will be affected, it's hard to know what will happen with those. So that's awesome. Yeah. What's the name of the book? It's called At Glacier's End. Yeah. At Glacier's End. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. What, what about you, Scott? What's what's in the pipeline? I'm working on a couple collaborative collaboration projects. Worked on did a song for a video game that'll be out pretty soon. Right. Um, but I'm just working on working on another album. Um, that uh, hopefully you know now I got a jump start on it. I was I wasn't expecting to be able to start on it till. Uh, this winter so it's it's awesome to be able to kind of focus on that already this this soon in the cycle 
We're going to get a lot of new music uh, in a few, in a few Psyched. months. Psyched. That's awesome. I think in general, yeah, I, I got to imagine there's going to be a tidal wave of music coming in about two months. Like after just enough time for people to, have, you know, finished all these songs and then, you know, the labels get a hold of them and the whole release schedule, that's always like delayed by a few months. So at like month five or six of the of the lockdown, if it lasts that long, you're going to you're gonna see a lot of stuff coming out, I think. So it happens when you, you trap creative people in a room for three months. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff's yeah. going to be weird too. Yeah, seriously, especially from bands. Like, you know, like I work alone most of the time, so it's like, it's not that big of a deal. But like, if you were like, just like a normal rock band or something, I, I'm, I'm imagining people are having to find like uh, creative solutions to, to how to write together. What's, uh, I, I have a funny question. So the, uh, the last time, um, the only time I ever was at Burning Man. Uh, Chris, I don't know, have you ever been to Burning Man? Haven't, no. So the been only, to the, been the, to the desert time, a lot, but not, but not Black Rock. <laughs> let me tell you something about Burning Man. Scott is kind of a big deal at Burning Man. And, and uh, everyone was like, sunrise set, sunrise set. Um, Scott, why do you think the sunrise set that you do at Burning Man is so special to people? Uh, I think, I mean, I know why it's special to me is because the, I, you know, I sit, Burning Man's a big part of, at least a, a big segment of San Francisco culture. So when I, when I moved here, uh that's you know every year that's all people were talking about um and all summer you know and so like i was like ah you know i don't know about uh, it just aesthetically it didn't really suit me <laughs> from what i saw yeah. that you know what the image i had it doesn't from it, seem I like you're seeing i don't know how i cobbled that together but then i got there after my neighbor finally convinced me and i got there and i was like oh this is just an absolutely beautiful place and like all the flamethrowers and like victorian steampunk stuff is that's an element of it but the rest is just camping yeah. in the desert with a bunch right. of friends and so you know i'm like okay i could get this but what really got me is that when you go out at night they have these giant cars that are like mobile sound systems essentially and it's the first time i had connected with electronic music since my days raving in the 90s you know on these giant systems with a bunch of people and the the sound out there it's like this really fine dust that that's coating the ground and and like uh like I wouldn't even call it sand because it's 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 really dust, um, and it's like it absorbs sound and scatters it in this really interesting way. And and uh, I've never heard music music doesn't sound the same anywhere in the world as it does out there, especially mm. at loud volumes, especially low frequency. So it, it just made me. I was I had kind of moved away from electronic music, and and when I first went out there, I was like it it like reignited my my love of it, and then. The you know on like the third day he's like oh you got to go to this sunrise set it was uh, this guy named Scumfrog he does these these sunrise sets all the time out there and I went to it and it just like blew my mind like the sun's rising you're literally like on this like the the most incredible picture I could ever take you're living in it and it's like the greatest music and it's like all these people in it you know it just made me I was like I whatever that is I want to do that I never even DJed until I saw that uh, that set and then you know I was like okay I got I got to like figure out what DJing is and. And, uh, and someday come back here and do this. So yeah, it took a couple of years and then I, I finally got back out there and, and uh, started doing it. Wow, that's great. That's an incredible story. Yeah, it's one of the great. funnest, definitely one of, one of the most enjoyable mornings of the year for me. It's so sad yeah. it's not gonna happen this year. We'll have to try to do it online. I, I don't know if it's a fair question, but uh, Chris, what's your sunrise set? Oh, I mean, honestly, I think 
sun, any sunrise in general. There's, you know, it's a funny one. I was talking to my wife about this, but like, I think sunrises are way, way more special than sunsets just simply because of the fact that less people experience them and everything's more quiet. Uh, the world is not usually as ready or willing to wake up and be that, you know, even animals are like, you know, they're, they're, they're out more. There's just, to me, it's like, I, I've always considered like my, my favorite trip is the last trip I went on because it's the one that's the most visceral. It's the one that's the most real. It's the one that's the most raw. And like, I, I try not to live too much in like, Oh, that one thing, I want to shoot that one thing, that one moment. Um, because I think they're all special in their own way. And anytime that I can utilize a camera to document a place I love or something I fear losing, I feel really empowered and lucky. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like every, every sunrise is pretty much a gift. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to trying to appreciate it more these days. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you get well, up my, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, do you get out, Chris, like very early? Usually my, my manager's a big surfer and he's yeah. gotten me out. Um, he's gotten me out a few times, like where we actually were in the water and watched the sunrise. And I, I don't think I've ever felt anything quite it, like that. It's Montara Beach. Yeah, dude, that's, there's no better feeling than like when you see the sun like rise and hit the water. I'm, I, I definitely tend to, you know, have more evening sessions because I'm, I'm lazy like everybody else. <laughs> Those moments when I get fired up and I'm like up at five and, you know, driving up the coast, like that's a rad feeling. And it's like, it's brisk offshore and it's chilly and you get like, there is something so um, primal about that, you know, and raw. And, and I really love um, translating that to like having a camera or not, you know, it's just like, it's a really cool feeling. And um, I think that like it comes through in the creative process when you feel all those things, you know, and it, it feels new and different. So that's kind of, yeah, I appreciate that a lot more for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're, 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 we're at time. And uh, I just want to thank you guys on behalf of, of Outpost, behalf of Be My Eyes. Um, we're just like, what an awesome conversation. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to, to chat with us yeah. and for everyone who's watching. Dude, thank yeah. you guys, Scott. Thanks for everything, man. Stoked to catch yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Good meeting you. Thank, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for everybody for tuning in.